Yeah, yeah, it's 62,000 bricks right now. And I would estimate at the end, it's gonna be about 300,000. But most of the time, all we're doing is is suggesting things to our viewers. We're suggesting go to Playwell Bricks and ask for a commission. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the age that when we were younger, we would put the set together, but then rip it apart and build something new. And I couldn't figure out why kids were, weren't doing that anymore. Slowly dawned on me that kids just aren't being creative with their Lego. They just don't know how to be creative with their Lego. 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 Welcome to the Lego Stud Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett. And first, I wanted to thank those people who uh, took the time to listen to last week's episode. And that was a little deviation from our standard Lego broadcast, but it's something I needed to get off my chest, and I thought a lot of other people might be going through the same thing. This is a very difficult time that a lot of us aren't used to being so isolated or thinking we have time to be busy. If you haven't listened to it, it's a good insight into my understanding and my experience in burnout. It's a good listen if you want to hear a little personal side to, well, me, the host. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and haven't subscribed yet, please press that button. I put on an episode every week on Monday so I can keep you updated on the news, and then you get to hear some cool interviews or discussions for the week. And so we'll jump back on the Lego train here and get back on our normally scheduled program. We'll start off, of course, with our bricking news from this past week. And then we're going to have an interview with Playwell Bricks. So let's start it off with news from Lego.com. A lot of us are interested in Star Wars. So the Mandalorian sets that were coming out this summer, which was supposed to be released on August 1st, which a lot of us has probably already pre-ordered the Mandalorian Razor Crest, as well as the Mandalorian Brickheads, if you're a fan like I am. I guess on the site today from MNR Productions, it shows not August 1st anymore, but coming soon. It seems now these sets have been included in the sets that are continually being delayed, being sent to the United States, which continues to add to the number, like I talked about last week, in the delayed process of release sets. And I think this is really concerning the factory that is primarily in Mexico, being shut down still. They don't have a way to get over to the United States since when it's produced in Europe, it's not produced with the age and the piece count like it has to be for the United States, which I guess I need to research a little bit more on that because I have no idea why we have to have that. My friend Steven, who's also been on this podcast, actually went to Target today and found some of the Lego sets from Europe, but with stickers to replace that area that needs the piece count and age value. I guess those are going to be our COVID Lego bricks. Anyways, so it's now been delayed and we have no idea when they'll come out. And that leads me into another Star Wars story. AT&T owns the Warner Brother Interactive Entertainment Company. That's who's producing the Star Wars Saga Lego uh, video game. And they're looking to sell it. Not exactly sure why, but some companies are interested, such as EA. Please, God, no. We don't need any more terrible Star Wars games from EA and a few other video game companies. If it is sold, I'm not sure what will happen to this game. Hopefully it'll still be released on time like it is supposed to uh, this October. The future is going to, of course, change a little bit. Maybe they'll even add some more video games. And I know a lot of us have been 
playing video games while we're stuck at home, but things are starting to open up. The Legoland California is actually planning to do their reopen for July 1st. And as we've seen in some of the other parks, they're going to have special stations, make sure there's hand sanitizer, spacings, and face masks for all employees. So they can still have people come in and feel safe, especially during this time. And through that, they're going to continue to provide their Lego sets as they always do. And another thing that they're coming out with is souvenir magnets. I think it was about six or seven months ago, they came out with a souvenir magnet of Paris, which had the Eiffel Tower. And now they're looking to come out with New York, which will have the Empire State Building, then London with the London Eye and Parliament Building. And they look really nice. Great detail for such small little sets and magnets are always useful. We are always in need of more magnets because we always have tons of stuff to put on the fridge so we don't have it all over our countertops. Legoland also will be selling their minifigure lounge pants, hopefully available for Father's Day. So they're just pajama pants with tons of different minifigure faces all over them. They also come in youth size and they also you can buy them together as a combo pack so you and your son or daughter can wear... Uh, uh, minifigure pants for Father's Day. I mean, they kind of look cool. I'm not a father, but I, I kind of want them. Maybe I'll have to tell my wife. We have some major sets coming out. We have the fourth generation of Mindstorm, and this set is 51515, easy to remember, Robot Inventor at 949 pieces. It's available fourth quarter 2020, and it's going to be retail for $359.99 US dollars. This is the fourth version of Mindstorm. So they're trying to upgrade little pieces here and there, making it easier for kids to learn how to code. The coding app is free. It does come with some newer elements. We have a 5x5 LED matrix, so it can create faces or different light-up designs, Bluetooth connections, six-axis gyro and accelerometers, including USB micro ports for connecting and grading the software comes with a speaker and re rechargeable batteries comes with a color sensor distance sensor angular motors and some new colors such as teal plating uh, black wheels and a new frame system this is a great way to get your kids involved in coding and building with legos a little bit i know i i did a robotics camp when i was in ninth grade and we played with mindstorm we had a lot of fun because it gives you the ability to learn how to code as well as try to solve a problem. So you could have them have to climb a wall or uh, see if they can do battle bots because that was one thing from Robotics Camp, which was really cool. Finally, we have a set that actually has been released image-wise, but the information overall hasn't been released by LEGO. The set's going to be numbered 43179 which is Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse buildable characters. These buildable characters are going to be per image because that's all we have. It looks to be about 8 to 10 inches tall, and it's the old style of Mickey from their early days, and he has a little ukulele, an old camera with the tripod, and it looks to be almost a photo album. And Minnie is wearing a little flower hat and has a flower pot in her hand. Now, we don't know the full price yet, but rumor says that it's going to be about $179.99 US dollars, and we don't have a piece count yet. But it's expected to be full details released on the 17th, so I guess we'll just wait. Lego does sometimes release the information early based on all the leaks that have come out. And that's all I have today for the breaking news. So tune in next week for more breaking news. One last little side note. On my Instagram, I posted on my story, hey, if you have a question, I'll answer it on this podcast. So we did get a question from step-sis asking, what was your first Lego set? At what age did you get it? And how did it impact your love for Legos onwards? 
I know one of my first sets was a backhoe, but I can't remember what the set number was. But one that I do remember is the set 5918 Scorpion Tracker, which is a Johnny Thunder Adventures set from the late 90s. And I was about six or seven years old. And it just, it just opened my mind to building. And from there, I got a bunch more adventure sets and really engaged my creativity even further. Thanks again, Stepsis, for this question. And next week, we'll be doing... And now we'll get into the interview with Playwell Bricks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Lego Stud Podcast. Our guest today, Jason, is going to talk to us a little bit about his many builds that he's been doing. If you go onto his sites, he's got his Facebook, uh, YouTube, and an Instagram, all under Playwell Bricks. So, uh, Jason... If you uh, could tell us a little bit about yourself and just a little bit of your background, that'd be great. And then we can dive into some questions. Sure thing. I've been a Lego fan since I can remember. I don't ever <laughs> remember not having Lego. I had an older brother, so I inherited his. Went through as typical, you know, teenage years, uh, getting out of it. And I was still collecting, though, especially when the Star Wars sets came out. And then in the, they say, the past four years, it became really serious for me. I started to teach workshop for kids at the local elementary school. And things have been snowballing quite a bit. And two years ago, I started to put myself out as a commission designer. And... As of yesterday, I am officially a federally recognized corporation in Canada. So that's pretty cool. Outside of that, I'm a stay-at-home dad with two daughters who are home now doing all that homeschool stuff thanks to COVID and the lockdowns, but we're getting through it. Well, hey, first, congratulations on your new business. That's awesome. I know I followed some of your commissions, which we'll talk about here in the podcast. It's great to see like a dive back into Lego. You know, we all have our what people call dark ages where we've deviated a little bit and then slowly come back to Lego. You know, I always start uh, the interview first with if you were a Lego minifigure, what utensils would you have and what would your minifigure look like? Oh, it would definitely be uh, Indiana Jones, scruffy. I think for accessories, I'd have a beaten up hat because everybody knows me in real life by my beaten up hat and probably a compass, I would say. Oh, cool. Are you uh, outdoorsy or is it just your nature to... You like uh, I, I like to explore <laughs> a lot. <laughs> okay. Uh, not just in, you know, uh, in everything. I, I really have a curious tendencies about me. So I, I like to explore everything, ideas and new places and all of that. Awesome. You know, what's great is you can do that with Lego. You can kind of explore Absolutely. your own creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why uh, it sucked me in so hard into the design world. Yeah. And it, it does that for all of us. And especially people who haven't started designing yet. It, once they do, it, it, you can't really turn back. Absolutely. You, you've had a life of Lego. What was like your first memory of Lego for you? I would have to say probably the classic trains. When my father and mother split up, we had this great big box of Lego trains because my father was into model trains. And so he bought, I think, every single train Lego set that was going on at the time. So I really have a deep connection to those and, and definitely doing weird things with Lego. <laughs> That's kind of continued on where I've always tried to do strange connections and, and things that were out of the ordinary, you could say. And that gives you your ability to create a more detailed model, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I intentionally think outside the box a lot. <laughs> 
that's why when I came up with a slogan for my business, it was designing the impossible because I tried to do everything to break the mold, I guess. That's really cool. And I, I love on your Instagram how it's not just like, oh, here's my build. It's here is the step-by-step -step, like, hey, this is where I started and here are the steps until I got to the finish point. I'm guessing that takes you a lot of time to get to that end point, right? Do you, do you have like an average of how long things take for you to build? Yeah, that's a hard one. No, because I have a lot of things that are just percolating in my brain. When I get a commission, I usually have like a month or two before I have to start it anyways. But in that process time, I'm always thinking about how I'm going to do it. So that when I actually get around to starting the project, I already have a pretty good idea in mind. As far as time-wise, I mean, I've had you know commissions, small ones that have taken a few hours, and Winterfell's been the biggest that I've spent probably four months on that one. Wow, yeah, it's a. Uh, and for people that can't see, if you go onto his Instagram, he did he did the entire uh, what'd you say outer wall of Winterfell? Yeah. Yeah, it's very impressive. I love the uh, design you've built for the lookout towers. How long would you say that took for the rounded lookout tower? That was probably a few days. To get the, the rounding part wasn't so hard. It was definitely hoarding roof, the round hoarding roof and getting the angles to, to work out. That took some thinking. So yeah, I would I would give that Probably about a week or so to get that right. When you design, are you designing primarily online or do you also build uh, at the same time? Uh, about 99% is done digitally. If I'm working on something and I'm not 100% sure that the technique is actually going to work, I will go in and, and try it out in real life to make sure that it's actually going to hold. As far as the Winterfell, that round hoarding roof, I was telling you about I went and ordered in all the parts to do one roof to make sure that it was going to be solid I was actually surprised how solid it is you can actually like knock on the thing and it won't budge so I was pretty pretty happy with that yeah I know a lot of people especially even myself worry about stability because you build online it looks right and it fits but then there may have been a glitch in the program or it it physically it's not very stable yeah, I do tutorials on YouTube about designing in studio. The last one I just did was talking about the stability tool. And one of the things that I said in there was experience with hands-on. You just can't beat it with digital work. You, you have to know how the connections are going to work together. You know, the digital programs are great. They're wonderful. But I've seen people do things in them that just couldn't physically be built. And if that's their intention that's fine but in my case i have to make sure that when it comes out in reality it works <laughs> right because your client is looking for something to be built exactly <laughs> yeah uh so diving into your commission work actually i know i've started to dabble a little bit but could you talk uh, a little bit on how you started your commission work sure uh, i had a uh... A little bit of success with the magic circle. If you go on my Flickr feed, you'll see that I created a, a circle that's complete and it's made out of bricks. It's not just plates. After that hit Brothers Brick, I kind of started getting the idea that maybe I could, you know, do this design thing for real. And I just put it out there on my Facebook page. Up to that point, I had been using that Facebook page for nonprofit 
sales so I could get enough money to get Lego for the workshops that I had mentioned before. And then I just put it out in the public that, hey, if somebody wants to, you know, hire me for commission work, I'm open to it. Immediately, I got my first one, which was the Argonath. The Argonath, for everyone who doesn't know, is from Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, and the two kings just between, was it, the mouth of a river, correct? Correct, yeah. It's an excellent set. I've, I, I saw you actually designing and building, and uh, when the final model came out, I was like, oh. As really an excellent set. It, it depicts even the boats, two small boats passing through as it does in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So that I'm guessing that helped kick you off and get you out to other people as well. For yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that one, again, went to Brothers Brick. I was like super excited over that, of course. And then I got a few more after that. Uh, I was contacted by Thomas Kasparik who does really big, massive designs. He designed the largest wooden Lego roller coaster. And he asked me to work on a collaboration with him for a haunted house to go with his amusement park. So I, I did that one as well, and that got quite a bit of attention. It just kept snowballing like that. Yeah, I did I did a few smaller ones, and then the big one was when Winterfell came along. That was, that was a huge project. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it looks huge in itself, let alone how much time it must have taken to actually do. Yeah, yeah, it's 62,000 bricks right now, and I would estimate at the end it's going to be about 300,000. Wow, so you'll be doing the entire castle. Yes. I do small commissions, nothing to this extent, and it's like, ah, I have so many ideas that I bounce around and then you realize, well, I don't have much time to do many of them. Have you considered building any of yours or are they all just going to be commission based from here on out? I would think as long as the commissions keep coming, I will keep doing the commissions. Um, the only thing that I really wanted to tackle was the Mon Cal Cruiser from Star Wars. That I, I can't remember the designer's name, but somebody did one that was so amazing. I said, well, there's no point in me doing it because it's been done. <laughs> Probably better than I could do it. So it's always fun when you uh, start a building and then you realize that somebody else has either done it or they just came out with theirs. I do brickheads and I've been working on an Animal Crossing series and uh, somebody started coming out with theirs. I'm like, oh, well, those are really good. Uh, I've already already put the effort forward. I got to (laughs) finish. Back to the the circle you you created um, as one of your original builds. Uh, it's funny that I actually use that in one of my own mocks. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, I think that's honestly how I came to look at and find your page was I was designing the Steve Jobs Theater from the oh, Apple headquarters. yes, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I wanted a trophy scale, but I also didn't want to have a plated surface, a roof. I wanted something that was looked round. And yours was the closest I could find to figuring it out and... It, it it turned out really well. So yeah, I hope a yeah. lot of people have used it. I know some people. You, did you make it a clock at one point? Yeah, yeah. That was just a, a five-minute quick little, here's how you could use it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted, I wanted to turn it into a real clock at one point, but that never came about. Now, you build sets as your commissions, but do you uh, purchase and build any of the Lego sets? I was collecting quite a bit of Star Wars and... I've scaled that back to now I'm only collecting the UCS set. So I'm guessing you just purchased the A-Wing? 
I did. Yep. Have you built it yet? No, that was a birthday gift to me. And I have not, I'm looking at the box right now. I have not had a chance. (laughs) (laughs) I also am a big UCS collector. Is there a specific scale you like to work with? Or is it just kind of already in your building process, you start with one level and then just kind of work from that? I really love true minifigure scale. I think that kind of where my niche lies. I like big stuff. That's my favorite. I I would love to get into micro scale stuff, but it just doesn't seem there's a lot of demand for that as far as my commission work goes. I think it's harder, almost sell the micro scale because they're like, well, that doesn't come with a minifigure. I'm like, well, that's because it's supposed to be smaller. And they're like, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with, with me where I charge, roughly charge by the part, I guess, to justify the cost of micro scale versus getting something big. Yeah. It's harder for people to justify. <laughs> right. And that a good question to ask actually is with, not specific money wise when you go ahead and start a commission do you have specific uh like i'll build you this a thousand pieces will cost you this or is there basic levels i guess yeah that's something i've been refining i give them a general price and i say it's generally going to be this much you know i will scale it down depending on how much work and complexity i think is going to be in the project after i get into it Pricing yourself out is does that hurt sometimes? Because I feel like you you'd be interested in jobs, but then you realize that to do something it would cost you more personally than them. What's their usual reactions? I guess. Um, I I've never really had anybody be rude about it, but they have said, you know, well that's that's way more than I I would expect. Um, one job that really hurt that. <laughs> was for a 100 models for a marketing firm. I don't think they understood the costs involved, but when I gave them the quote, it was you know way more than they were willing to pay. It, it's interesting because some people think that like, oh, it's Lego, it, should, it shouldn't be that bad. And then after you design it, like here's the piece count and this is what you wanted designed. And they realize, the pieces cost how much? And this is going to cost me how much to build on top of paying you to design it. And uh, yeah, it, it can be a sticker shock. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I always overestimate my prices at the beginning. I always like usually throw it way out of proportion. And if they're still going to go ahead with the project, then you know I will knock back the amount afterwards. One thing as as any artist, I've done quite a few different artistic endeavors. Artists are never valued for their time. (laughs) That is something that, you know, just is ubiquitous everywhere. So to try to tell somebody, you know, I I actually am worth more than minimum wage. (laughs) Usually they, most people understand, but you get a, a, a good amount of people who are just like, well, yeah, but I thought it would only be a hundred bucks. I mean, you know. Reality is hard to stomach sometimes for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when you're dealing with the luxury item. It, and that is that is what we are doing. I mean, it is a collector's item. It's not something that's essential. Right. And when you consider it as an artwork, which most people don't, you think about a gallery. When you walk into a gallery, a price is this much, and you have to 
not just factor in that wow that's just a painting you have to factor in the hours the detailing the pro the material used to do it yeah and a lot of people don't even take into account the experience of the artist doing it because that is worth far more than what people would put a value on you could have a three-year-old do a, a crayon drawing for you or you can have a, a master painter do that for you the experience level is going to be vastly different and that experience by itself is worth a lot exactly and looking at your models themselves you have the experience so it's you have to make your work speak for itself at that point yeah exactly yeah are there any uh, current projects you're working on that you can talk about now sure i'm currently doing an oliphant from lord of the rings so great big giant elephant war beast picking away at winterfell that's on hold for now but that's going to be going on i'm doing a bunch of instructions <laughs> for different clients uh, I've got a commission for a specific kind of car. So there's lots in the works. Now, are you a one-man show? Currently, yeah. I've been dabbling with the idea of bringing some other designers into the fold. So being a stay-at-home dad and then working, is it difficult sometimes to keep that balance? I say yes, because I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I usually get up around seven and start working and yeah, I, I have to force myself to get up and do the stuff that I should be doing otherwise. <laughs> my, uh, my wife would say the same thing. Uh, I don't, I don't think of it as work, but then you realize, uh, with our kind of passion in Lego it, and it's our own, uh, ventures, we're kind of running on our own steam here and it never stops. You go to sleep thinking about that build or the instructions you have to make. Um, and, uh, it can be a difficult balance personally. Yeah. And as you said yourself too. Yeah. And it, it's another layer again, what it is your business and you're trying to do all of the things that have to be done for a business as well as, you know, creating fantastic designs again and again and again, and wanting to do the best you can do. Because you're also not just a commission, but you, you continue to build and now you do YouTube what's your youtube like i know that i've seen you do your studio you uh, tutorials but are you looking to branch out and do other things i would like to i'm trying to keep youtube limited once a week do like a tutorial style video and then maybe do some you know put some animation build animations of my projects up there. I dove hard into YouTube about two years ago. I went hard at it for about four months and I, I really burned myself out. So this time I'm trying to just be relaxed with it, take it easy. And uh, I would like to really get into doing more digital stuff with the digital files, like incorporating Blender and Unity Engine and things like that in with your digital builds so that's something i really want to explore more on those tutorials will hopefully be coming i don't know probably within the next three months or so speaking on how you were saying blender and doing those things it's it is a, a whole nother level it's not a lot of people don't realize when you're designing legos it's not just the lego set you have to design but you have to show what you've designed and having a render system it helps make your product even more and like i'm i'm also really trying to learn blender it's it's a it's a different animal for sure trying to figure out but it just makes everything such a uh realistic 
view of what you've done? Yeah, I think there's vast potential in Blender in being able to bring your stuff into there and animate it and all of that. I, I've tried to dive in a few times and it's just, just time. It's just a matter of taking the time to be able to go through tutorials and learn it. And I got the same issue with your commissions. Most of uh, they're all requested by the clients. Has there ever been a commission that you wish somebody were to request for? Oh, you know, I'd love to tackle Hogsmeade. That would be fantastic. If there's any listeners out there that wants a Hogsmeade, this is the time to ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would love to tackle that. I mean, in, in like minifig scale, because I, I did the three broomsticks just as a, can I do it? <laughs> Just as an experiment to see if I could pull it off. I did. I, I think it came out pretty well, but I would love to expand on it and actually finish that and do a Hogsmeade. That would be really cool. I know that a lot of people have been like rumored about the next uh, Ultimate Collector's Harry Potter series, and I think Hogsmeade or like Diagon Alley would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they would definitely do Diagon Alley. I could see them tackling that one again and doing a much more detailed version of it Mm -hmm. with your scale do you ever just kind of sit down and struggle making certain areas to that minifigure scale or is it easier because it's larger i think it's much more difficult to get organic shapes to work larger you can do suggestions in smaller scale you can suggest a curve here you can suggest it there you can kind of get the detail but it doesn't have to be perfect because you know people are gonna you know their minds are gonna trick them to see it anyway whereas if you're dealing in large scale stuff to get curves to be exact and to get an organic shape to be to look like it's supposed to takes a lot of thinking and a lot of tackling it from different angles to get it right yeah and that was my next leading question is with your design process, how do you start? Where do you go to, like, especially in those challenging areas, to get that curve? Is there, do you draw it out, or do you just kind of throw yourself into the program trying to figure it out um, by hand? Yeah, I'm usually just grabbing at bricks and trying to to figure it out. So usually when I get a commission and I, I'm starting it, I'll pick the most difficult thing I think is going to be in that build and tackle that. That will set the tone for the rest of the design. With buildings, usually what I'll do is pick architectural features, just try to replicate those as much as I can and, and get those kind of views looking how they should. That's a challenge, I think, for anyone, especially perspective. You have to use almost a reference point, which is uh, for any designer out there is something that you have to choose on your own. And like the elephant, the head is an easy choice. But when you get to like a skyscraper, do I choose the top? Do I choose the base layer? You have to kind of modify your techniques as you go. Right. A lot of it is picking out the most recognizable features, I guess. Things that people are going to be able to pick out and say, yeah, okay, I, I know that because that's there. And just build out from there. Yeah, yeah. That Well, that's my process anyways. Because it's like all, all we're really doing is we are abstract artists, although maybe less abstract than just throwing paint on a, on a canvas. But we're playing with people's minds all the time. That's how the scale works. Scale models where we're trying to get things exactly right. I know there are some car guys out there that are 
very particular about getting the shape perfect and all that. But most of the time, all we're doing is is suggesting things to our viewers. We're suggesting go to Playwell Bricks and ask for a commission. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Strongly suggesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's another thing is for a builder to start commissioning work, it, you have to be open to building things that you've never attempted to build. You have to be ready for a challenge. Absolutely. I don't know who it was that said this. I should actually look up the designer, but there's a, a Lego designer. One of the pieces of advice that he gave was never build something for yourself. You know, if you're, if you want to get into design work, always design something that other people want to see. And I really took that to heart obviously because that's exactly what i do yeah i i think i actually remember that video because i don't know if it was him or it was one of the other designers around the same time frame said ask a friend what they want you to build if you can enjoy building something that wasn't from your own mind or own ability to build then you're a designer you, you have the capacity to build away from what you always want to build it, it might be elitist of me but i I do, in my mind, separate a designer from a builder, just because I think a designer has more an artistic flair to it, where a builder is just mainly trying to build something that looks kind of like it. Yep. It's hard to play both roles, but a lot of people sometimes don't realize they are a designer when they're building or vice versa. Exactly. Exactly. I, I've, I've noticed the same thing. I think everybody has the potential to do either. So like no one should ever limit themselves. This is that's the whole point of Lego is to broaden your horizons, continue to try and do new things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I faced so many challenges that I, I just sat down and went, I have no idea how I'm going to start this. <laughs> and it's just worked out. And only because I have enough confidence to be able to tackle a challenge repeatedly and go, okay, well, I got to figure out how to do this. So let's do it. And I, as you said, everybody has that potential. It's just literally a matter of taking those risks and being able to say, yep, okay, let's do it. Yep. Anyone listening, make sure don't limit yourself. Just try new things. My final question for you was how has Lego changed your life now that it's now becoming a business for you and it's just getting you as an artist to become the creative person you want to be. What has it done for you and your family? Well, this is a, as soon as I read this is like, I hope you're ready for an essay on this. I'll go back to the beginning, like four years ago when I pulled out my Lego collection because my daughters were old enough to not put it in their mouths anymore and stuff like that. My two girls were so excited to see the Lego and to play with it. Then I started going and buying just bulk lots and bringing it home and then I, I noticed something when I was buying the bulk lots that the, the sets were all together like nothing was was taken apart and I couldn't figure it out because I mean I was the age that when we were younger we would put the set together but then rip it apart and build something new and I couldn't figure out why kids were weren't doing that anymore slowly dawned on me that kids just aren't being creative with their lego they just don't know how to be creative with their lego so i talked to some local parents and decided that i would start workshops for kids just in my lego room so i did that for a while and then through our local family center also at the same time i started to become the head coach of our lego robotics team at our elementary school those two things 
by themselves without the design have utterly impacted my life incredibly like being a coach for the first robotics team if any listener is into lego and into you know the technic side or into computers or anything like that and wants to work with kids there's no better program out there like it is absolutely fantastic it's fantastic as for coaches it's fantastic for the kids it's just an awesome program altogether so check that out for sure and then with the workshops that's kind of where all the design stuff came from because i was showing kids how to do things and as i was showing them how to do things i was learning things and kind of a learning by teaching moments were happening and then that led into doing the design work and doing the the magic circle and trying new things out which snowballed again into the design work that i'm doing now so i mean as as far as what it's done it's i have always had purpose but i mean this has given me a drive like i've never had and that's led you right to where you are being a amazing designer especially with your commissions and your process watching you build i i know i scroll through my instagram and i'll just see these amazing builds but seeing somebody and showing me how they continue to improve on something or like, ah, this roof was good and then I need to redesign it, you know? It, we're all human, which gives people the courage to realize that we're not perfect and we can all do the same thing. We can all try and put ourselves out there to continue to build. And branching out to having the coaching to give kids creativity is amazing because I think we have lost that. I think generations have lost the ability of creativity or imagination. And uh, I think you're doing a great service to your community as well as uh, the Lego community, being able to help with this, uh, the studio tutorials and, uh, and everything. And I, I think you'll continue to broaden out and create some amazing designs. That was really good. Thank you. Uh, it wasn't an essay, but it, it was a great, it was a good story. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a ride. It's been like, I can't believe from four years till now, it feels like 10 years, to be honest, but there's just been so much happening in such a short amount of time. It's been fantastic. And who knows what will happen in the next four years from now? Yeah, I've got a lot left in me, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great, because I I can't wait to see. Hey, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this. If anybody wants a commission, this is where you need to go to play well bricks. Uh, and if you're thinking about opening up your own coaching or thing in the community to help kids be creative, I, I he's a great resource. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. He can definitely point you in that direction. Yep, for sure. So I'll thank you again. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can uh, speak again soon. Absolutely. Thanks Just a lot. I thank play well bricks again for giving us the time to get to, know him and his designs a little bit better. I think it's really cool to dive into some of these discussions because there's so much insight and understanding of how people are different when they build. We've had about four or five interviews now, and almost everyone has a different style, a different way that they go about building. And I think it's a great window into that creative mind of somebody else. And just maybe that little talk about Legos might get you interested in going out and building or buying some of your own. And I'd love to hear from you guys. If you really like the show, 
please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And check out my Patreon page. It's going to be in the notes below. And you can also check out my Instagrams at iBrickHeads, at Lego underscore underscore stud, and at Back to Brick 2. And if you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed on the show, send me a message on Instagram and I'll respond back and we can set something up. So thank you again for supporting this podcast. And as I always say, get creative, get out there, and go build something. Before you exit out of this podcast, listen to my bloopsters. Everyone, welcome to the Brickstead Blah. So for today, we're going to jump back into our pretty much normal sleep. Uh, blah, blah, blah.